Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon, presented by TeeOff.com by the PGA Tour. I am your host, Shane Bacon, and uh, it's Friday, and finally I'm coming up with a uh, U.S. Open look-back podcast. Actually, it works a little bit considering the Phil Mickelson comments that came out on Wednesday, and we've had a few days to kind of digest what happened with both Brooks Kepka and Shinnecock Hills and the golf course and all that went down. So I actually think this plays pretty well. I had Curtis Strange on who, you know, is a great person to chat with about winning back-to-back U.S. Opens. He's the last guy to do it, and uh, and he was there to interview Brooks Kepka. He sent out a great tweet about always wanting to be the first person there to congratulate the first player that was able to do it. And, uh, you know, Brooks Kepka, the first guy since 88-89 to pull off back-to-back wins in completely different fashions. That's something Curtis and I jump into. But uh, it was a it was a great week. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was very lucky to be a part of, of the, the telecast and getting to call some great, great shots towards the end. And uh, you know, him making that birdie on 16, you know, a shout out to Brad Faxon and Gil Hansen and, and Joe and Paul and Curtis and everybody that was involved. I thought it was a, it was a really, really fun week for our team at Fox. And, you know, it's always fun to be able to present a championship in that in that style. So uh, we are all resting up. I know Faxon texted me on Monday and said he he took a nap for the first time in a couple of years. Gil Hans texted me on Thursday and finally said, hey, I wanted to we needed a few days to, to kind of chill out. And I, I finally wanted to send the text and say thanks for the great week. But uh yeah, we uh, you know we roll through. We have the Senior Open next week, and on and on we go. But uh, this week is the Travelers Championship, and TPC River Highlands isn't the only course in Connecticut linked to world-renowned designer Pete Dye. Wintbury Hills Golf Course is Pete Dye's first effort in New England, and it's definitely worth checking out. When I lived in Connecticut, I played Wintbury Hills as often as I could. The golf course is unbelievable. And even if you're not in New England, no worries. You can book a tee time at thousands of other great golf courses across the country on teeoff.com by the PGA Tour the official tee time reservation site of the PGA Tour, and do so without booking fees. That's right, no booking fees. Every course, every tee time, plus as a valued listener of this Clubhouse podcast, you'll get to save an additional 25% on deals with the single-use promo code TEEOFFBACON. Type TEEOFFBACON, you'll save 25%. It is a good way to do it. And we welcome into the Clubhouse the next man to pose for ESPN's The Body Issue, Curtis Strange. Curtis, I know I know you're prepping yourself uh, for this moment in the next couple of years. You know, I uh, uh, didn't quite know you were going to open up with that, but not with me in it. Okay, I, uh, there's nobody I'm going to take my clothes off for. <laughs> well, we're we're a few days removed um, from from a great final round of Shinnecock Hills, and uh, a man that pulled off something that that hadn't happened since you did it back in 1989. It was weird. Do you remember we were having dinner Sunday night before the U.S. Open, and I brought it up. I know you're a guy that doesn't really like to talk about your accomplishments that much, but I said, I said something to the tune of, you know, it's crazy that this hasn't happened much, and it's one of the rarest thing accomplishments in golf. And then, you know, fast forward a week later, and Brooks Kepka pulls it off. You had a chance to be out there with him. I thought your congratulatory, you know, tweet about kind of being the first one to to say what's up to to the guy that does it after. But I mean, it had to have been special for you to to be on the golf course walking alongside this guy that's trying to pull off a feat we haven't seen since 89. It was one of the thrills of my life. Um, and I've been fortunate to have one or two uh, to be out there to call it. Uh, let's back up for a minute to have our producer say, you're not going in the last group. You're going in the second to last group with Dustin and Brooks. And I agreed uh, to call it. He's played so, so well all day long um, uh, to be able to, to congratulate him when he came off the green uh, and to interview him. I, I just thought it was pretty cool. It's, when you really think about it, 
30 years from from, from uh, last week, who would have thought that I would be out there with the next guy? So I was enjoyed it. Um, he says he knew. Uh, my concern was that he knew I was the last guy, which he said he did. I didn't want to bother him at all. So I stayed far away from him. But he uh, he's a hell of a player. He's such a strong player. And, uh, you know, it had to happen eventually because the records are made to be broken, and eventually they do. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. I, and I think Paul Easinger brought this up on the telecast. You know, he birdied 16, you birdied 16 in 89, and it kind of gave you a little bit more of a cushion. It did the same thing for Brooks Kepka, But, I mean, of course, I mean, I'm sure you're not thinking about that when you're out on the golf course. But, you know, it's it's done in two completely different ways the last two years. And I think, to me, when you look back on it, you know, five, six, seven days later, the way he won at Aaron Hills compared to the way he won at Shinnecock, really night and day. I mean, it was it was scrambling, it was up and downs on Sunday. It was it was making these crazy pars from tough spots. And if you fast, if you look back a year ago, I mean, it was a guy that was that was having to make birdies on the back nine to give himself a chance to win on a golf course that was obviously very receptive. So, you know, you're winning U.S. Open, sure, but you're winning them in completely different fashions. Well, that's what happens. I mean, golf is a game played outdoor with a lot. Of- Nothing's ever the same. Uh, I'm so proud of him for this reason. There was some talk last year that was he a true U.S. Open champion, not because he won, but he didn't play on a true U.S. Open setup. And we're going to get in that in a minute, setups. But, uh, you know, Aaron Hills was 50-yard wide fairways, lack of wind, uh, rain every night. Was he that type of player? Well, he went to Shinnecock this year on a true classic open course, uh, still wider fairways than we have seen in the past, but he played better than everyone in two very, very tough days. Saturday, extremely tough. Uh, he is truly a U.S. Open type player now. And we have to define that. The U.S. Open type players changed over the years because the courses are so long and, and, and whatnot. But he is so strong. And strength, I like to say, shows its face so many different ways. Not only hitting long drives, but hitting irons up and soft hitting long irons up and soft uh being able to get to those tough hole locations hitting it out of the rough playing in tough conditions hitting bullets into the wind and he has all the shots it's it's strange that i feel like the the accomplishment isn't getting enough kind of a fanfare i mean you know winning back-to-back u.s opens and doing it the way he did it over the weekend you mentioned it saturday being extremely difficult and then doing what he did on sunday especially on the back nine i feel like it's almost been lost a little bit of what Brooks Koepka has been able to pull off considering how few times we've seen any player win back-to-back U.S. Opens. I mean, I, I wrote on Twitter on Sunday night the names that haven't done it. And, I mean, it's the who's who of golf. I mean, Tiger and Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and these names were never able to pull this off. I mean, they had times where they came pretty close, but I almost feel like Brooks isn't getting enough credit for what he did. I think that'll happen in time. Uh, you know, when I asked him at the cer- closing ceremony, do you know how special this is? And he said, no. Well, he shouldn't know because he's in the middle of a young career. He's in the first half of his career. He's only 28 years old. Uh, he's going from week to week. He's won last year's U.S. Open. He's won this one. He's going to this week. And so it would only it only becomes more special the longer removed from it. And that's why – if it means half as much to him as it has to me over the last 30 years, it'll be a joy and a thrill for him. But he's not supposed to think of it like that. But it has been lost a little bit because we once again have controversy. And uh, Brooks Brooks is really not 
a completely household. He says he, he admits he feels like he, he he's been overlooked, but he's not going to be overlooked now. Uh, uh, he's battled some injuries, which is not good, but he is he's at the top of the totem pole right now. He and Dustin Johnson and Spieth and a couple others, and he's in the mix with all those great names. And uh, he better get used to it because the attention is going to change. Uh, his demands on his time is going are, are going to change. And uh, but he looks like he's got the personality to handle it. But you know, we getting back to what you said, lost in the shuffle. We have once again, Shinnecock was was the show for the wrong reasons, I believe. Uh, course setup was 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 dicey on Saturday, uh, and my, some people might say, well, the players are just bitching and complaining again. Well, the players will always bitch about something. Okay. Right. That's the nature of the U.S. Open. But the point is they want hard and fair. They don't want hard and tricked up. And Saturday it was hard and tricked up with three or four bad hole locations, two or three or four bad hole locations. They like hard. They know when they go to the U.S. Open it's going to be hard, but they want it fair. And on Saturday it became not that not the case. And therefore the, the setup became the storyline instead of Brooks Kepka. Right. Is is there a, I mean, you know, I, I have a hard time with the kind of the look back at the course setup because, you know, when you look at a Shinnecock Hills, and it's going to be the same thing next year at Pebble Beach, a, a factor that plays into those things that doesn't play in at Oakmont and won't play in at Wingfoot really, and it's not going to be, you know, at LACC is, you know, having to factor in the fact that it might blow harder than, than you're expecting it to blow and the meteorologists are expecting it to blow. And I think that was a big issue on Saturday. Should should it just be a little scaled back, even if that means seven under wins as opposed to even par? I mean, I know that people don't love seeing a U.S. Open one like Congressional in 11 or, or even, you know, looking back last year at Aaron Hills. But I don't think if seven under wins or two under wins, I don't think fans are going to look at it any less of a U.S. Open than if it was four or five shots one way or the other. My playoff with Nick Faldo was at six under par. The next year at Oak Hill, which was an extremely tough golf course. Thank goodness we got rains on Wednesday. We'd still be playing. was two under par. So in the day, and that was a different guy. David Eagle was sitting at the golf course. He understood that there were elements outside of, of what he could control. And so, therefore, you have to be a little careful. When you ride that edge, that edge of being playable, possibly not unplayable if something catches you off guard, meaning a hot, dry sun, stiff winds, whatever it might be. I don't understand of riding the edge. And what that means is the greens are too damn fast. Okay. It comes back to speed of the golf course. And just because we can get them 14 on the step or 12 in the case of, of Shinnecock uh, doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. And this is, and this is four or five years of mistakes. This is many years of I th- I think a little bit of, of of manipulating the golf course to make it tough for the player. So even par will be somewhere around the league. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Let the these guys are the best players in the world. They're so much better than we were. They hit it farther. They run faster. They jump higher. They're better athletes. So therefore, they should shoot lower scores. 450 yards longer for Shinnecock this year than 04 means nothing to these people. Right. 
that will not affect the score one way or the other. It's the fairness and the firmness and the speed of the greens. Those that watched our viewership that watched this past weekend or week really don't ever get a sense of how much slope that are in some of these greens. Uh, when I played there in 86 and 95, they were probably running 10, you know, something like that. And we thought they were so, so fast. Now they're going to run 12. Well, 12 on a slope away from you downwind becomes 14 or 15 like that. Now we're talking about too fast. And those are the type things when you look at and set up a golf course, you have to have some logic to what if. What if the wind comes up? Remember, we're 60 miles out in the North Atlantic on the tip of Long Island. Right. The wind is going to blow. The wind is going to blow. I don't care what day it is. And so I just it, – it, it frustrates me, Shane, because I'm such a fan of the week. I, not because I won, but it's my national open. It's right. your national open. It should be the toughest test of the year, without a doubt. Arnold Palmer used to tell me that. Everybody bitches and complains. That's good because you have to beat less people when they complain. Jack Nicholas said the same thing. But they still want it fair. And it was fair for a long time until, you know, the last regime. And for some reason, they haven't quite gotten it right. And, and it just takes away from the overall wonder and, 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 and stature of the golf course we're playing, minus Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills. Uh, and the champion. It becomes the story. It becomes about the U.S. Open and the U.S. Open setup, and that's exactly what it should not be. It's it's interesting when we, you know, I, I one of the things that I've always been a bit confused about, and it goes kind of back to what we were talking about a moment ago about score, is you remember the scores when you win those U.S. Opens. But I would say that if you asked anyone what won at Chambers Bay, what won at Oakmont, what won at Marion when Justin Rose won, or if you look back on these things, outside of Congressional and outside of Aaron Hills, which were, you know, soft because of weather and they didn't have wind, outside of those, right. I don't think anybody, A, knows, and B, cares. I don't think golf fans really they care, don't if, it's, care. If, it's, if it's five under wins it or no, if one over wins care. it. I mean, they just, they want to see, as you said, they want to see a tough test that's fair for the players. They want to see if a player misses a shot, they get penalized, or at least they can be penalized. You know, I thought what Kepka did, you know, on 14 where he, he drives it in, in the rough and he had to pitch out, and then he has to scramble to make par on Sunday. That was a perfect example of what a U.S. Open should be is on 14 in that circumstance, he has to get massively creative and has to lean on his talents to make a par. And I think that is a good encapsulation of this. And if he wins at four under or if he wins at even or if he wins at one over, to me, as long as it's not a ballpark that looks like a regular tour event, I don't really think fans are ever going to get up in arms about it. I mean, I almost think the perfect U.S. Open score now is probably four or five under, as you mentioned, because of the players and the talent level and how deep it is. And maybe 25 years ago, it was even or one over. There's no perfect, uh, there's no perfect U.S. Open score. Every golf course differs in difficulty. So if we go to Pebble next year and the wind blows 20 every day, then, of course, the score is going to be higher than if it would be calm. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it's so common sense to me. If, you know, Pebble Beach is, is a short golf course with very, very small greens. Uh, it's just it's the nature of the beast. If you have if you have a good golf course 
if if we go to say for instance Pinehurst in three or four years, and it rains every night there, and the and the greens become a bit soft, and with the lack of rough because of the waste area, somebody's going to shoot a good score. There's nothing wrong with that. The elements dictate the score. You sure you set up the golf course to be as demanding as it possibly can, but each course demands different things, and they're going to cookie cutter the way they're doing it and i just don't agree with it let's go let's go let shinnecock be the star shinnecock is a grand old golf course it's a difficult golf course and if the wind blows 10 to 15 which it probably does 80 percent of the time let that dictate what the scores are going to be let's not let whole locations be the story the greens actually were were fine the golf course was set up nice i still think the fairways were a little odd but the golf course is set up nice the whole locations, what became the story on Saturday, and I was out there amongst them. I'm not speculating, and I'm not repeating what I've heard. I saw these things, and I saw how 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 unfair they could have gotten, and they did get unfair late in the afternoon. And a reminder that summer is here. Trust me, if you live in Phoenix, Arizona, you know that. It was 113 yesterday. I tried to play golf. That will be the last time I do that in the middle of the day. Well, if you're busy filling up your schedule with trips and summer camps and activities, just know that you may need gear for that. And that's why I recommend the Ogeo Backpack. Ogeo makes backpacks for all things that you need this summer. Even better is that Ogeo bags are so durable, they'll last you this summer and many, many more, including school years and everything in between. Make sure you check out the Ogeo Backpacks for your summer needs. And special for listeners of the clubhouse, you can celebrate back the summer with Ogeo by saving 25% on all backpacks on ogio.com with the promo code clubhouse ogio the world's best bags all right curtis strange is here and we're going to chat about the week that was at shinnecock hills well something else you were a part of that i think was uh <laughs> something you didn't know you were going to be involved in uh was the was the whole phil mickelson deal i mean you 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 know to wow. your credit kind of threw yourself in the middle of it i mean I, you you were pulled off a group and it was you know, you're following Phil in, and this is going to be your kind of interview, Curtis. And, you know, lucky, I think, for everybody at Fox that we have you there to do that because that is not an easy thing to do. Um, you spoke to them after. So just walk us through, I'd say, maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of his round as you're kind of preparing for this, how long it took him to come out of the scores tent, and then your kind of nerves and, and, and moment in that spotlight getting to talk to Phil Mickelson for the first time after what happened on thirteen. I went to the booth on Saturday and Sunday for 20 to 25 minutes with Paul and Joe to set up the day, what I've seen, what I expect to see out there. Okay. Um, during that time on Saturday, we saw Phil Mickelson hit a moving ball. Okay. Um, you're in shock. I finished there. I go to the practice tee to go to do my due diligence on the group that I have, which is Scott Piercy and Dustin Johnson. Okay, I talk to their coaches. I, I, I say hello to the caddy. I get their clubs that are in their bags. I get to know the caddy's name and get to know him a little bit. Just things I do. I don't mess with the players. Uh, while I was on the practice tee, our producer, Mark Loomis, says, Phil is going to talk, and you're doing it, Curtis. Well, first of all, my first instinct was that what a, what a compliment that they're going to let me do it, Right. Um, number one. And uh, so now I want to do this right. So I had immediately a couple of questions. Uh, and then with our producer and Joe Buck, 
in the background, we decided on the two or three questions. They had to be to the point, short, and no matter what he said, this is the way it goes. I asked the first question, which is, Phil, what happened at 13? My next question is a response to his first answer. His first answer so flabbergasted me, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, but I did come up with, and, and it, was, it, it was actually came off pretty well, uh, do you think you disrespected the game by hitting a movie ball? And he said, no, I don't. I, you know, it was pre-planned or whatever he said. And uh, what do you say to the fans? I mean, are you going to have regret? You know, you're widely loved in this golf world. And they're all surprised by, by your actions. And he said the same thing. So it was quick and short. Let him answer. the. I guess my point there was that it wasn't about me at all. It was me asking short questions and let him explain to the, to the world what happened. And I think we did just that. Uh, I hope we did just that because – he stayed in the scores tent, scores trailer, for 45 minutes, trying to with his agent trying to figure out what they should say. It was all contrived, and it was proven because he came out two days ago and said, "I apologize, I was frustrated." Um, but as I got as the 45 minutes progressed, I got more nervous and nervous because now this 300 reporters standing at the foot of this this porch that I'm standing on, and other TV. So this is a big deal, but I still thought it was, I still wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part of this and uh, cause I'm still learning every time I get to do something like this. And I thought it was a, uh, it was exciting for me to be part of it, not for the reason, but for something that important. And then we moved on. I actually went to my group, got them on the sixth hole. Um, I was supposed to be with a group and didn't, didn't follow them the first five holes because of this, but uh, it was a story and it was a story that had to be covered. And it is, that has also gotten a lot of press and it a little bit taken away from Brooks's, Brooks's victory as well. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just, I think that, you know, and I, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff, I've read a lot of stuff, and you mentioned the apology that I was going to go to in a minute, but I I just feel like it was such a bizarre moment for a guy that almost always says the right thing. I mean, sure, he's had moments. I mean, he yeah. had the Tom Watson moment at the Ryder Cup and... You know, he said the inferior equipment thing about Tiger, which I think was Phil just more just being Phil than anything. But, you know, there were mo there's moments in his career that he said the wrong thing, but he's never really done the wrong thing, especially on the golf course. Yeah. And I thought that was the first time. And, you know, the apology came out. I was going to ask you, when he was talking to you, you know, you've got to do two things when you're doing an interview. One is you've got to be ready, and two is you've got to listen. And I think you did a great job of listening. I thought you did an unbelievable job at the interview. But when he's talking, as you're – in your brain preparing for the next question and making sure that you're kind of on your P's and Q's for what's going on. Were you buying any of it? You know, it's not for me to, to judge. It was for me to ask the questions that I think the viewer wanted to hear and let him speak. Um, you don't have time, as you know, you don't have time to judge at the time. I was a little bit surprised at his answer to the first question on, well, I just didn't want to go to the front of the green and waste time and do this back and forth. So I stopped the ball and hit it while I was moving. Well, you know, that didn't, that didn't pass the smell test with me, but that's not for me to, to judge or now, but I think it's been proven what, what we all thought was frustration and a little bit of a stick it at the USGA for their setup and mostly frustration with his game his putting. He actually played quite well. He played every bit well enough 
other than Saturday to win the golf tournament. And, you know, we all get frustrated, and it's a very frustrating week. Most weeks are like sprints on the PGA Tour. This is a marathon. You have to plug yourself away, plug away for four straight days, and if you're not with it, it gets very frustrating. I just wished, looking back on it, I wish you'd have said, I'm sorry, I did this out of frustration, uh, I apologize, write to me, and the thing would have been over with, I think, very quickly. I think so, too. And, and I wanted to we'll move away from Phil and just kind of talk more about um, you, you said earlier that the, that the way you win U.S. Opens and the type of player that wins U.S. Opens is different. And when you start to scroll through the champions over the last few years, Brooks is the first player since Tiger in 08 to win multiple U.S. Opens. Of course, he wins back-to-back. Then you go to Goosen, Payne Stewart, Lee Jansen, Ernie Els, and on down the list. What makes a player capable of competing in this championship even today that is both different and both the same as guys back in your generation and before, because it does seem like there's certain players that understand us opens and there's certain players that cannot understand us opens. You know, it comes down to uh, talent. Number one. Okay. You can't win the us open with smoke and mirrors. Uh, number two, you have to have some intestinal fortitude because it is going to be a long, tough, frustrating week even for the for the champion um now who is that well it used to be the kind of straight driver who could get it around the golf course and putt well and was meaner to snake that's not so much the case anymore because the golf course the golf game has changed it's all about length now uh, zach johnson certainly can win zach johnson uh, uh justin leonard in his day the media the average hitters uh, can win now, but they're giving up so much off the tee. It's going to be so much tougher for them, unless they go to a Marion or something, some short golf course. Um, as I said earlier, strength shows its face with hitting high, soft, short irons versus the average hitter hitting six iron into a whole location. Things like that after over four days really uh, affect and, and affect the outcome. Um, it's just changed. Um, Brooks looks like a guy that doesn't get bothered too easily. Uh, Dustin Johnson is the best player in the game. Uh, Rory McIlroy is a U.S. Open champion because I think he's more skilled than anybody else, although he's struggling a bit now, but incredible player. You've got Jordan Spieth, who's a shorter hitter, still plenty long enough, but what part of his game stands out more than anybody else? His short game, and that's the second most important part of the game. Maybe – Maybe the most important part of the game at those times. So, um, so, I mean, everybody you can look at, and, and they're quality, quality players. You just don't very, very, very rarely do you see a surprise winner in the U.S. Open. I'm going to take a quick break to just remind you that TPC River Highlands isn't the only course in Connecticut linked to world-renowned designer Pete Dye. Wintonbury Hills Golf Course is there, and it is absolutely worth your time. Check that out for sure. And if you're not in New England, there's no problem at all. You can book a tee time at thousands of other great golf courses across the country on tiaf.com by the PGA Tour, the official tee time reservation site of the PGA Tour, and do so without booking fees. That's right, there's no booking fees. Every course, every tee time, plus as a valued listener of the clubhouse, you'll save an additional 25% on deal times with a single-use promo code TEEOFFBACON. TEEOFFBACON, save 25%. Let's get back to Curtis. And I was going to say, you know, you, you just mentioned Dustin Johnson, and you got a chance to follow Dustin on Sunday with, with Brooks Kepka. I think yeah. that we were all just waiting for something to happen with DJ. I mean, I think it, it seemed like his U.S. Open to win 
and it seemed like he was going to win two and three years, and he's number one in the world, and he was coming in off a of victory. And it was it was kind of a weird weekend for him. What did you see up close with DJ, and do you take anything away from this more than just he didn't have a great putting weekend, or, or is there more to this, do you feel like, considering he's had a few of these kind of speed bumps in majors? I think it was he putted very poorly. Um, now, when you putt poorly, that uh, that affects your, your attitude and the way you go about the day. But bottom line, he struck the ball nicely. He had a game plan, which actually I was happy to see. He laid up with a lot of irons on the backside uh, and stayed with it. Even when he got behind Brooks on Sunday, he stayed with it because I, I guess he and, and, and Butch and his caddy decided that putting it in the fairway was more important than bombing it. And there were some holes on the backside that he didn't need driver. But if he hits driver, then he can flip to some of the greens. But as, as we all saw, let me just say the rough, my grandchildren couldn't get through some of that rough out there, and I mean it. It's, it was diabolical in places. So you had to keep it out of the rough. I like the way he played. I think he played fine. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of making a few putts, getting some momentum, and he never got the momentum to, to carry him through. And it was it was interesting. He you he did approach it. It was almost like somebody went up to him and was like, "This is how Tiger won a British Open one year." And he was like, "Okay, I'm just going to do that." You know, I'm I'm longer than most people in the world. I can put the ball in play. I can lean on my iron game, which has been the best in the on the PGA Tour this season. And it was just simply he wasn't making five footers, eight footers. I was asked on on radio this week a couple times about Dustin Johnson. Oh, is is he going to be known as a choker and all this stuff? And I went. You know, he was not hitting bad putts. It didn't look like Curtis. They were just kind of rolling over the edge all weekend long. Yeah, you know, you have those weeks where, you know, I, if I putted like Dustin this past week, I, I take away I didn't putt well because if I hit a good putt, I expected to go in. But he looked like he was he was coming close. He looked like he was far off. But as we all know, you don't have to be but a smidge off. The greens were tricky. There's a lot of slope. They were plenty fast. They were tough greens to putt, and they were tough greens to putt because they're just so much slope in them. They're not hogbacks and, and rolly, you know, mounds in them. They're just slope one way or the other a lot. Uh, I mean, 18, eight, the 18th green really doesn't have a whole location on the entire green. At running 12, it's almost impossible to set a whole location. At 7, it's almost impossible to set a whole location. At nine, there's a number of greens out there that have so much slope. And when they were running nine or ten in the day, they were they were perfect. Now you get them up to 12 with wind blowing downwind, downhill. Uh, now we have issues. But anyway, my point is they're tough. And he didn't have his best week on the green. But other than that, I can say I think he missed it very tough. Yeah, he was uh, he he struck it good enough to win. I mean, I think that's what everybody was uh, was seeing with Dustin Johnson. I think anytime he doesn't win, people are just surprised. It's just kind of like, how does this guy not win every single week? But you know, I mean, he he got beat by a guy that was able to lean on a part of his game that I think doesn't get enough credit as around the game. It is crazy that Brooks Kepka only has one PGA Tour win outside of these major championships. I wonder if there's a level of just almost clicking it in here if you look at the way he's played the majors the last four years he's really been in the hunt almost every single one of them I wonder if there's a, a lack of concentration in a regular PJ Tour event and then he gets to these things and he goes you know I'm one of the best in the world we had that quote all week about his confidence level 
And, and, yeah. and I'm sure there are players that do that when they get to majors. It's a little bit different game for them. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can. He, he has finished like in the top twenty one or something in every major since two thousand fifteen. Some some really good stat. Now he's been injured. Okay, you have to say that he was out. It's incredible that he played so well in the U.S. Open last week because he's he's only played in what eight or nine tournaments. Right. Here. But with all that said, he played in Europe for a couple of years, so he didn't start on tour at a really young age. Uh, he developed over there, which was fantastic. Um, he came over here. He's won only once outside the two U.S. Opens. Uh, I expect he's going to win more, and I think we just have to be patient and let him play. Uh, he's, uh, he's about winning. He's not about making money. I, I, I truly believe that. But I, I don't know him really well enough to make that statement, but I, what I sense is that he's about winning and playing the best he can and doing all the outside work that's necessary to win. He's not about just making money. And, and it's so a, yeah, it's, let's it's, just give him some time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important. I I think, too, that this might propel him to a place. I mean, he, he can you, – you mentioned the stat. He can win on just about any golf course on the planet. I mean, yeah. how yeah. does he not get to Carnoustie and feel like he can win? How does he not get to the PJ Championship and feel like he's one of the favorites? Because he, he's done it with all parts of his game. Well, some guys really, some guys enjoy even par being the score versus 20 under, meaning maybe they're not the greatest putters or maybe they mentality-wise, I don't think he's one of those guys, but maybe he is. I don't know. That's something we'll have to let history play out. But uh, uh, he is at another level confidence wise. And we all know he doesn't lack confidence, which is you got, you got to think you're the best in the world. You just don't, you just want to say it too often out loud, but uh, you know, I think he's plenty confident. His confidence will grow. That's the part of Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and the ones who are becoming world-class players. That's the part of the game. Yeah. They might tweak their game a little bit here or there. They might do this, might do that, but it doesn't change too much. What really changes is your confidence level, that when you get in the hunt, you almost feel like you're playing with house money because if I screw up today on Sunday, I'm going to be there next week or the next week or the next week. And you, you really feel that every time you tee it up, if you play decent, you should be around on Sunday afternoon. So that's the confidence level that really does propel you to play better. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I, I just don't know about him right now. Well, he, de- he definitely, I would say confidence, not something that he lacks. I don't think DJ either. So um, as I let you go, just uh, one final thought as we kind of button up the U.S. Open as, as the week's kind of done. Um, what were you most impressed with outside of Brooks Kepka, And what player were you most disappointed in when you look back at this U.S. Open, considering you were, Curtis, out with a lot of the big names earlier in the week? Uh, well, I think the, the early in the week it was the poor play by Spieth and Rory and Jason and a few others. Um, I was actually proud of Patrick Reed being the current Masters champion, getting right into the hunt early on Saturday. It's hard to sustain that momentum uh, because you have so much, you know, vinegar and 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 stuff running through your veins early, and you you do sometime dur- during that five-hour round have a sinking spell, and that's when you have to fight through it. And he didn't finish well, but he had a good U.S. Open, and I was proud of him. Um, uh, 
you know, uh, Finau and, and Daniel Berger, who played in the last group, they didn't win, but they gained a lot of experience. And, and they have to remember that. They're dis- vastly disappointed and should be. But they have to learn from this because they'll, they'll be in that position again. They're good enough players. And next stop, Tom, they might pull through. There's so many – for me as a former player who went through the stages of, of what these, all these guys are going through, I understand the different storylines. Daniel Berger, Finau, the experience, learn from it, do better the next time. You know, Brooks came through, confident, DJ disappointed. Uh, you know, just all of the above. And uh, I thought it was a grand week. I just wish it would have been uh, a smooth sailing for everyone involved. Well, it was, it, was a, it was a smooth week for you. You did a great job with uh, the Phil thing and following Kepka. I thought you did a great job with the interview after. Um, I know, uh, I know we, always, uh, we always love having you around. I wish you were around more, for goodness sakes. We can't get you to, like, the Boys Junior or something, Curtis. Come on, get it together. You know what? Wouldn't that be fun to watch the next superstars play in, in the National Junior? I played in two National Juniors. And you got to remember, in that time in your life, that's the biggest tournament you could ever play in. And so it was a USGA National Junior, and it was, it was, it was larger than life. And I remember those days. So I, I know these guys are thinking the same. Things like that are fun. And, you know, doing the amateur in August is great fun. We forget how invested these guys are in their games. So, uh, you know, we got a great lineup. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the telecast. I know I did. And, um, you know, we, we move forward to the seniors next week. Senior next week, and then uh, and then we just keep on the summer rolling. Curtis will be with us at the amateur. I know, uh, I, I you know, I guess if they make us go to Pebble Beach for work for a week, um, I'll do it. You know, if they're gonna twist my my, my wife's you know already what? like, I'm going to that one with you. There's no you can't. There's no way you can keep me out. I was like, trust me, you're not gonna be the only family member. Curtis, I appreciate you taking the time, and I will see you in a few weeks. Sarah is going as well, so we'll see you over there. Thank you, Shane. <clears throat> It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Well, that will do it for this week's Clubhouse Podcast. Hope you guys have a great weekend. A reminder that summer is here, and if you expect to do anything this summer, you're going to need the gear to carry you through, and that's why I recommend OGO backpacks. I love them. I take my OGO backpack everywhere, and I think people are relatively jealous. They actually sent me three Renegade backpacks. When I first started doing these reads, I'd probably say a year, year and a half ago, I'm still using Renegade backpack number one. There's two still in my closet that haven't been touched. That's how good they are. That's how durable they are. You can celebrate back the summer with Ogio by saving 25% on all the backpacks on Ogio.com. Use the promo code Clubhouse to do that. Ogio, the world's best bags. Ogio, my favorite bags as well. That's not their tagline. That's just my tagline. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back next week. And reminder that we'll be at the Broadmoor next week for the U.S. Senior Open. It's going to be great. The golf course is fabulous. It's one of my favorite in the West Coast, so check that out. We start off Thursday. Actually, we start off Wednesday on FS1 for a preview show, and then we get going Thursday. I will see you there, and I'll see you next week on the Clubhouse.